Welcome to Toward Wellbeing, a podcast that seeks to offer wellness information and explore solutions to well-being challenges faced by the legal community. I am Denise Permay, the Associate Director for the DC Bar Lawyer Assistance Program. We are happy you are joining us today. As a reminder, we coordinate each podcast with the Washington Lawyer Magazine issue using the LAP column Toward Wellbeing as a jumping off point for a more in-depth conversation. The May-June's issues column is called Bringing Your True Self to Work. The column focuses on lawyer well-being as a component of professional identity development and how legal educators and employers can encourage and support the well-being practices of law students and the lawyers they become. Our guests today are Tara and Tony Pillay, Vice Chair of the DC Bar Lawyer Assistance Committee and founder of Cultivate, a DC-based wellness consulting group, and Martha Knudsen, Executive Director of the Utah State Bar Wellbeing Committee. Thank you both for being with me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Denise. I'm so happy to be here. So in thinking about lawyer well-being, which is such a broad topic, I wanted to know what the two of you see as emerging approaches to increasing well-being in the legal profession as a whole. I've been doing this work at the intersection of law and well-being since 2015, and there has been leaps and bounds of progress since that time. I mean, we have a long road to go still, but the biggest shift that I have seen is the level of programming and education and attention being given to this topic of well-being and not just on the reactive side of things, which is incredibly important, but also on the need to equip law students and lawyers and all legal professionals with the tools and resources that can help them ride the wave of the practice of law and thrive. Yeah, I think that's a great observation, Martha. The two things that I would identify are kind of one in treatment, like I know Martha has just undergone a really kind of thorough review of everything that the Utah Bar offers in terms of well-being services, and kind of really thinking about what is helpful. So I think nationwide, utilization of law firm EAPs is traditionally very low, like maybe 3% or something like that. So what I, I see a change in how firms and organizations are approaching kind of providing support services in, in sort of the prevention and, and reaction space, really treatment options, better options, more easier access, kind of publicizing the options that they have. And then the other way I see things being innovated right now is what I would call like a back to basics approach, right? There was just a big study that came out looking at sort of what what are the correlates with suicidality in the legal profession. And, and one of them was stress, but one of them was loneliness, right? And so I think thinking about you know, going back to what was good in the profession historically, like mentorship, relationship building, how, you know, what, what that looks like and how to develop it inside firms. So those are the two places that I really see innovation right now. And one is kind of old because I think people who are my age or older remember they had someone who's really influential in their career, in their life, someone who they admired and who helped them along the way. 
And I think younger attorneys have that less and less. So that was sort of a long answer, but that's how I see it. No, that's great. That's very helpful. And uh, I think there's just a lot of different aspects. Uh, you mentioned loneliness. So I certainly laws frequently for many lawyers been an isolating experience, especially for solo practitioners, an isolating type of career. Loneliness just contributes to so many mental health issues for, for humans. I think this is something that we're seeing in the data starts in law schools. We've been doing some research out in my neck of the woods, and we're seeing that that is something that comes on very quickly with law students. So it's if we can intervene early, right, and, and know those things and focus on building community and connection at the get-go, that's some huge opportunity for us. And there is that growing discussion about loneliness in the law just across the board. Yeah, absolutely. That community and connection is so important. Like you said, starting early in law school. I mean, the, the whole idea of professional identity development should start in law school, and law schools are really focusing on that. So if those behaviors and practices that minimize loneliness can be started at, you know, in law school, it hopefully will carry somebody all the way through their legal career. One of the challenges we've seen over the years is exposing folks to the information about these risk factors, for instance, and increasing their awareness. Are there any innovative ways you've seen of reaching lawyers and increasing awareness about these topics that you think are particularly effective? Yes. What I have seen to be incredibly effective is to approach these topics with the recognition that mental health and well-being is a spectrum. It's everywhere from just barely hanging on to thriving and everywhere in between. And we're all on it all the time. Like you don't get to opt out. So I think coming at it from that perspective that, hey, everybody, we are all in this and just talking about how it's the little micro moves that we make every single day and the way that we think and the way that we interact and how we handle our emotions, et cetera, that can really make a difference. So coming at it in that fashion, it tends to get people listening more. Whereas when I first started doing this, a lot of the approach was to just target the, the topics where people were really struggling. And that is incredibly, incredibly important. And we talk about that a lot, but I found that if we expand that to talk about well-being as a positive, proactive thing, then it's the people that may not have originally come to a program or wanted to talk about this, their ears perk up easier because it feels safer in a sense to, to talk about that. So I think that that is an innovative approach that, that we've been using that has really been effective. And our numbers for our programs have gone from... 30 to 50 to over a thousand for the sessions that we hold. So it's working. Yeah, that is an amazing point. And, you know, something that I think about a lot too is bringing the behavior change element into it, mm -hmm. right? Like giving people actionable strategies for what yeah. to do. Because I, I agree, Martha, I think for a long time, the focus on information was lawyers are in really bad shape. And you still see articles like that now. You still see, you know, lawyers have high rates of substance misuse and mental health issues. But I think that, you know, that that can sometimes, at least according to some research, have a counter effect of normalizing mm -hmm. that behavior yeah. as opposed to kind of, okay, these are some examples of people who have been successful. I mean, I, I think the other thing that I see firms doing successfully is having people from inside the firm talk about their experience and not just 
their experience, but how they've come out the other side and how they've done it. We're working on a big research project through the Institute for Wellbeing in Law now on people in long-term recovery and what that looks like. Like, what can we pull out of lawyers in long-term recovery that they've done that's worked? I love that. I was talking about stories. I think that is so important. And and we've done some of that out here in my neck of the woods, where we have a panel of attorneys that are, we pick them from all sorts of different areas of the law, different vintages of practice, and they come and they share their stories. And we've had everything from people going through grief to people overcoming addiction to folks dealing with anxiety or a spouse that's ill, or I mean, you name it and how to navigate those things and how they did it while practicing law, what helped them with their community, what was difficult. And it has been so incredibly well-received and it has really got the conversation going. And people that five years ago would never be talking about this stuff, they're talking about it. And other people are coming up after and saying, I thought I was the only one that, you know, that went through something like this. And in putting those stories out there, there's also a um, message of what did this person do to help them get through it? What do they still do to keep themselves and their well-being high? And so it has been incredibly important. And I think by having those conversations, that's really a great way to break down stigma because that is still a thing, right? In the practice of law, stigma around mental health and well-being concerns. And this is how I think we can really start breaking that down more quickly. Those are great thoughts. It was exciting to listen to you talk about these things. It gives me a lot of optimism for the future. You know, one of the things that we at the DC Bar Lawyer Assistance Program have been doing in the last number of years is trying to target our marketing and our events to a younger group of people like the Gen Z group. And we use social media to do that. And the uh, it makes me think about the role of technology. So I was wondering if you think there's a, a role for technology in this sphere that we're talking about and what that is? Again, short answer, yes. <laughs> there is a role for technology. Uh, Utah, we just, as Tara mentioned earlier, we just went through a review of our mental health and well-being partners for the bar, and we made some pretty significant changes, and they are both very housed in technology and innovative ways to get services and information out to people. So We've done two things. One is to change from an EAP-based service for all of our Utah Bar members to a service that provides access to teletherapy with a vast network of qualified therapists that people can schedule right on their computer. They can have a session in person or online or on the phone, and they can get in within five days. They get matched with the therapist. So all of that stuff is a really innovative way to provide access to therapy. And since we launched that in February, we've already tripled what we did in at least the last three years with our EAP. So that has been a really innovative thing that we've done. The other, and this one I think is, is new to the legal profession, and Utah has been so excited about it, is we partnered with a company called Unmind, and they provide access to a well-being platform through an app or on your desktop, and they give you tracking tools. So you can see how you're doing. You can get access to all sorts of educational courses and little small tools that you can use during the workday. So it's a way for us, well, when we made this decision, we thought, okay, we have 
about 11,000 members of our bar across a huge geographic area. And it's like, how do you get to all these folks, get them information and put it in the palm of their hand so they can have ownership over how they do this. And that is really what we we saw as a wonderful opportunity to do so. And so far, we've been really pleased and uh, we're seeing a great uptake in that. So that's how we're using technology, you know, along with social and website and that kind of stuff. And I would say that I think there's some amazing ways of using technology, but as the parent of teenagers, I also think we're really fighting against technology from the loneliness and isolation standpoint. It's really hard to get, I think, younger people broadly feel very lonely outside of the legal profession. There's loneliness on you know college campuses. And so kind of finding ways to utilize the technology, but also to get people to interact with other human beings. Like, I think that easier access to mental health services, amazing. I do really feel strongly that we need to get people interacting with other human beings, even if it's, it doesn't have to be all the time, but that I think is a, still a real challenge. Don't you think, Tara, that that's a challenge with legal employers right now? is that lawyers like more autonomy in terms of how and where and when they're doing their work. And you have these up and coming young lawyers who they, I mean, they were raised through law school as being remote most of the time, and they need that interaction with the higher up lawyers. But it's like, how do you get everybody working in that way and keep the best thing about having the option to do remote. Like it's it's a challenge. And I don't know if anybody has really figured that out yet. No, I think it's definitely a work in progress. I, I see people starting to come closer to it, right? Where mm-hmm. people are, you know, finding one day or two days where people are in the office or, you know, prioritizing live participation at conferences or events or I mean, just for the social aspect alone, yeah. for any kind of training or professional development piece. But that to me is the biggest challenge right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I'll say about that is that I, I wonder if you think that some access to like the ability to have a larger Zoom meeting, for instance, where people do have their videos on and reach more people. Like one of the things we notice is we can... We can reach people who might not be in the DMV because we can see them now through Zoom. And Tara, it makes me think about the upcoming Wellbeing Week in Law. That kind of event in the past would have been pretty impossible. And Mm -hmm. now if you want to say a few words about Wellbeing Week in Law, which I believe starts May 1st, so the day this podcast is released, why don't you tell us for a minute about that and how technology has really enabled that to happen, I think. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah, so Wellbeing Week in Law is sponsored by the Institute for Wellbeing in Law, and it's really designed to kick off Mental Health Awareness Month in May and focus on lawyer and really the legal profession well-being because everyone involved, all support staff and legal professionals have many of the same concerns. And so it's largely a virtual event, right? We allow people to participate in any way that they want. Organizations participate, individuals participate, and we provide a lot of free programming. So we have a daily live webinar that brings some excellent speakers. I'm really excited about some of our speakers this year on the topic of adult friendship and belonging. Marissa Franco will be speaking on Thursday. I think that's going to be a not to miss one. She's great. 
She wrote a book called Platonic about the importance and the power of adult friendship. And so there's just a lot of opportunities to participate and we provide a lot of resources to make it really easy. So it kind of toes the line between a virtual event and then people are sort of taking that virtual content and using it in really a lot of different ways to, I think, encourage connection. And like you said, that that connection, I think it's a good point, like people being on video, right? That even creates a different kind of connection than a whole screen of people without their cameras on. It can be tiring, but sort of prioritizing times when everyone's on video and maybe allowing times when folks are off video for those breaks, I think is going to be really important too. So that's kind of the overview of Wellbeing Week in Law. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. And I'm looking forward to it. I already registered. Hopefully the listeners of this podcast are, as soon as this podcast is over, they're going to jump on and register. But I, uh, it makes me also think just for the DC Bar Lawyer Assistance Program, we the DC Bar is holding its third wellness summit in June, which I'm also going to plug here for a minute because I realize I'm not going to be meeting with these podcast listeners until after that, I don't think. So the DC Bar Wellness Summit is also something that came to be uh, during the pandemic and it would not be possible the way that it is would not be possible, I think, in the old days, quote unquote, because we're reaching so many people. And we have, you know, last year, I think we had 150 people register. And there's just no way in my wildest imagination that we would have had 150 people show up in person to a wellness summit in the past. And so it's that, you know the upside of these things, there are negatives about technology, and then there are positives, you know, as with anything in life, I think. So that is going to be taking place on June 14th. It's also a free event from about 10 in the morning, 945 in the morning until about 3pm. We have similar to Wellbeing Week in Law, a number of presenters we're really excited about and people can just visit the DC Bar website to find out more and to register to do the free registration. So again, June 14th, DC Bar Wellbeing Summit. Last question, I guess, is, and this may be a longer one for a future podcast, but are there any innovative treatments in the mental health field in general that you think are promising? And I really do mean like a specific type of treatment that you think the lawyer well-being movement could tap into in some way or make available to lawyers, and it would be particularly easy to do if anything comes to mind. There is a line of interventions that I'm seeing more often. I have taken part of this myself, and it is really paying attention to the somatic side of things, where we're feeling emotions in our body. As attorneys, we're really great at intellectualizing things, understanding and picking stuff apart to figure ourselves out and the way that we think. And, and it's an awesome skill, and it's good to be able to spot your thoughts and reframe them and, and understand them so we can shift them to a more healthy thing. But what oftentimes we don't do is pay attention to our emotions. And it's easy for us to stuff them down, ignore them, and just get on with it. But if you ignore them and stuff them, they don't go away. They just are waiting to come up later. So a, a new approach that I'm seeing more of is identifying your emotions when they come up. And there's a process where you can be very mindful and recognize where they are, how they feel, and just feel them without your brain trying to explain them to you. And it takes a lot of practice, but once you can do that, it's easier to move through emotions, release them, so you're not carrying this around. It's really helpful with getting over any kind of past trauma, with current difficulties, 
and with not getting caught up in your emotions, it also helps you in real time because you'll notice when something comes up and it can give you some incredible clues about your professional life. So I think that's something that's really exciting for the profession to pay attention to. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I have two things. I always have two things. I have two areas of research that I think are really exciting in this way. One is really a neuroscience approach, and that is how your brain recovers, right? And one of the things that I've been reading a lot about lately and that I see people focusing on more is really, really simple. It's just taking a break, right? 10 minutes, right? There's this great study that was just published showing that you know, if you just keep going all day, that your brain just keeps going with, and the stress levels keep elevating cortisol and like inflammation, it all just kind of starts to go out of control. Whereas when you take a break, as little as 10 minutes, your brain's able to recover. And so you're almost like starting fresh there. And so we, we often say to people, take a break, you know, as a mindfulness strategy or as almost like a throwaway kind of strategy, but having the science to back that, that says like, here's an MRI look, like your brain recovered in that 10 minutes, I think is going to be really powerful for how people structure their days. And then the second one, and this is a totally different area of research, but that I'm really fascinated by is psychedelics, right? And how mm -hmm. those kinds of things may really that to me is super innovative yeah. and likely to really change the way people are treated over time denise you know a lot more about it than i do but that i mean these are like two ends of the spectrum from like the small to the super big but that's another area that you know you could probably speak more to denise no i'm i don't know if i can because it's so promising and we have to wait until studies are done and then it gets approved because the whole treatment protocol got so set back by being very illegal <laughs> over the years, relatively unnecessarily, I think, but it's too bad the research got stopped. Yeah, really promising. The psychedelic treatments that are going to be coming down the road are very promising. So I'm sure lawyers as well as the rest of the population will start benefiting from that. This has all been a really helpful discussion. Are there any other last minute things you'd like to share with listeners about lawyer well-being? I want to just piggyback on what Tara said about taking a break. So I've studied resilience um, in a similar ways that Tara has. And there are a lot of things that go into making a person resilient. But I, I heard it all kind of summed up in a way that is lovely. It's that resilience is about working hard and then taking a break. And breaks can mean a lot of different things. It could be connection. It could be, you know, changing your tasks. It could be getting up and moving. It could be putting boundaries around work. But that break is so important because when we get into a like elevated stress levels, our brains immediately want and our bodies want to get us down to baseline. So being in stress for a little while is great. It helps us, you know, it helps us to focus, to work harder, our memories work better. But then in the long term, your brain's trying to get you to, and your body's trying to get you to come to baseline. And so it's like your car starts slowing down and you're not as effective and efficient if, unless you take those breaks. So it's really not just a thing for our own like physical and mental health, but for our practice and our professional development and being able to function at our A-game, we have to take those breaks to be yeah. good at what we do. You know, it's interesting with both of you talking about breaks. I looked at the clock and I realized I haven't had my break today. So 
I am going to take you up on <laughs> the preaching you've been doing for the past few minutes and and wrap up the podcast. And I think it's been great material and a lot of things to think about. And I so appreciate both of you sharing your expertise with us today about lawyer well-being and sharing with our listeners. I want to remind members of the DC Bar, DC judges, and DC law students, if you would like free confidential help managing stress or managing well-being challenges, please reach out to the DC Bar Lawyer Assistance Program. You can email us at lap at dcbar.org. Until next time, take care of yourself.